Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. How many are ready for week one of ATM? Man, I'm excited about the message today. Um, excited that you're here. At the movies is where church and movies meet. We know that Jesus taught in parables and he would connect spiritual truths to modern day stories that would reach people right where they were. And today's movie is obviously Jurassic Park, and I totally understood my assignment and I embraced it with this outfit. Take a good look because you'll not see me in one of these again, partner, all right? Um, But I am excited that you're here. We're going to be talking about Jurassic Park for the next few minutes. Um, I am excited because I believe God wants to speak to us today. Uh, In this movie, paleontologists Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler, along with mathematician Ian Malcolm, are among a select group that's chosen to tour the island, this theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA. And while the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, assures everyone that the facility is safe, they find out otherwise as these predators, these dinosaurs, break free and go on the hunt. Look at your neighbor real quick and tell them, welcome to church. Right, welcome to church. That's what we're, that's what we're using today. In order to communicate the message today, I want to go to an Old Testament passage of Scripture that is very familiar out of Genesis chapter number 11. And before I read, it's a little bit, uh, I think there's 11 verses, maybe 9 verses I'm going to read. But before I get to Genesis chapter 11, I want to read a shorter passage from Genesis chapter 9 um, to kind of set the context for where we're going today. Um, This takes place, what we're about to read in Genesis 9, it takes place after Noah and the flood where we We know that God wiped out the earth except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And at this point, the water has receded, and they're getting ready to leave the ark. And as they're preparing to leave the ark, God gives them a command in Genesis chapter 9. And let's look at verse 1 and verse number 19. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 10, we are given genealogies that show how the people are multiplying, okay, obeying the command of Genesis 9, and how they are filling the earth. Then we come to Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, and that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language... And the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And this is very pivotal right here. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, 
which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And uh, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, that's a, a mouthful, a lot of scripture, but it's an interesting story. Most of us read this, studied this, maybe drew pictures of this tower when we were in Sunday school or in children's church. We heard about it, and maybe you imagined this tower touching earth, but also touching heaven. But it's not one of those stories that we oftentimes revisit uh, as adults. It's not something that we go back and look at again. But today I want us to look a little bit deeper into this story because they were building a tower that would reach into the heavens. That is true. And God said, because they are unified, because they are together, because they, are, uh, uh, they have unity and one mind, that nothing will be impossible for them. I also think it's important that when we look at this story in Scripture, that we realize that there is much more at work than just the building of a tower. We, we read it at the beginning of the message. In Genesis uh, chapter 9, God spoke to Noah and all the people that would come after Noah, and he told them very specifically, here's a command I have for you, be fruitful and multiply. It was the same command that God had given Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion, and to fill the earth. That was a command of God. So this was not just them building a tower that would reach heaven. This was the fact that the people had become disobedient to what God had told them to do of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. They were actually in direct rebellion to the commandment God had given them. And they were nomadic people. They, were, they, they had no permanent abode in Genesis 11. They moved from place to place. Usually, usually that would be seasonally. And these towers, they, they have a name for the towers they would build. It, it sounds like cigarettes, but it's ziggurats, all right? They would build these towers, uh, these temp, and they became temples. Um, and you can find writings about this all through ancient Mesopotamia. And in Greek mythology, uh, they had a goddess named Ninter that would call for humans to build cities and not to fill the earth, but rather to congregate in one place. And according to the ancient text, her desire was for humans to settle and not be nomads any longer, which was still uh, against the command of God to populate and fill the earth. And because of all that history that I just bored you with, during this time period, there was high likelihood, high probability that they had aligned themselves with idol gods. But the biggest issue in Genesis 11 is that their desire for autonomy and their desire to control their own destiny without God. That was the big problem in Genesis chapter 11. They, they wanted to build a tower, but it was more about their disobedience. It was more about their wanting autonomy uh, separate from God and them wanting to create destiny for themselves outside 
of the will of God. Which is why in Genesis 11:4 they said the, the scripture says, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That leads me to point one of the message. Don't work to make a name for yourself. Work to honor God. I want to say that again. Don't work to make a name for yourself. Work to honor God. And this is so important because so many in our culture are working hard and striving hard to make a name for themselves instead of leveraging their life to, to make God famous, to honor God. And so paleontologists Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler and mathematician Ian Malcolm are a select group chosen to tour this island theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA. Check out this first clip. Come on, tell somebody we have a T-Rex too. <laughs> Did you catch that line in the clip of the one guy who says, we're going to make a fortune? We've all been there before. Maybe we haven't been on an island with dinosaurs and have dreams of making millions of dollars in that setting, but we've all had that moment when the allure of something got us off track from what was most important. Maybe the pursuit of wealth, maybe the pursuit of making a name for yourself, maybe it's just an unhealthy desire to be liked by everyone or be to per perceived on social media in a certain light, and that drives you. So many in our culture are angry and insecure, feel undervalued, all because they have gotten off track from what's most important. The important thing is not to make a name for yourself. The important thing is to honor God. If you get recognition while honoring God, great. If you don't get recognition while honoring God, so be it. How many know it's not about your name or my name? It's about one name, and that is the name Jesus. That's the only name that matters. And so we're not working to make a name for ourselves. We are working to honor God. And the scripture tells us, that the inhabitants in Genesis chapter 11 were there building this tower of Babel and the desire was not just the tower but to make a name for themselves. And many of us, we can work hard at making a name for ourselves and while doing that, we are dishonoring God and others in the process. That while we're trying to be recognized, while we're trying to get respect from people, while we're trying to get our shine, many times we're missing out on why we exist, which is to leverage our life to bring honor to God. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and how they love the places of honor. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And here's one of the things you've got to learn about trying to make a name for yourself and trying to do things your way and not leveraging your life to honor God. Listen, as long as you have that mindset, here's, here's a truth that you need to understand. 100% of the time when you make it all about you instead of honoring God, God will in fact humble you. How many of you have ever been humbled by God? 
Come on, raise those hands. We've been humbled. But God says, I will exalt those that will humble themselves. In other words, if you will make your life about something bigger than you, then I don't have to humble you. I can actually raise you up. One of the life passages for me since I received the call into ministry, this scripture really hit home for me when I received the call to ministry and then I accepted it. Proverbs chapter number three became a staple in my life. But starting in verse number five, here's what the proverb says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This scripture is all about honoring God, not about making a name for yourself. If I trust God and acknowledge God, in other words, live my life not to make a name for myself, but rather to make him famous and honor him in all that I do, what happens when I do that is my path becomes straight. It becomes healing to my flesh. It refreshes my bones. My life becomes blessed. And some of us, our life is a lot of things, but it would not be described as our paths are straight or healing for our flesh or refreshment to our bones. But we got crooked paths and we are frustrated all because we are not acknowledging God in all that we do. As long as you live life for yourself without acknowledging God, you are going to live frustrated. Have you ever thought about the times in your life when you are overwhelmed? That a lot of times the reason we are overwhelmed and filled with stress and anxiety is because we are not acknowledging God. Have you ever thought about the fact that the lack of peace in your life or the lack of fulfillment in your life, it could be the result of you doing your own thing instead of doing God's thing? That when we do God's thing, the direct result of doing God's thing is peace and fulfillment. I said this at Freedom Night a couple of weeks ago because we live in a culture where everyone wants to be happy. I want to be happy. I'm going to do this because it makes me happy. I'm in the pursuit of happiness. And I get where people are coming from, but God is not so interested in your happiness as he is your holiness. Oh, nine o'clock was shouting right here. Y'all didn't get enough popcorn. Um, but, but a lot of times we're in pursuit of happiness thinking that is the end-all, be-all. And we somehow have bought into the lie of the enemy that our happiness and God's holiness are at odds. But I have learned that my happiness and God's holiness are not at odds. The truth is when I'm obedient to God and I live my life for him, happiness is a result of doing what God has called me to do. Joy is a result of obeying what the word of God tells me to do. That fulfillment comes when I'm acknowledging God in all of my ways. Joy comes when I acknowledge God in all my ways. And fulfillment comes when I acknowledge God in all my ways. But we spend all of our time doing our own thing and the result is lack of peace lack of joy, and a lack of fulfillment. All because we're pursuing our own thing instead of God's thing. Scripture's clear that straight paths come in our direction when we acknowledge him, when we trust him. That we find healing and refreshment. In the movie, Dr. Ian Malcolm is a mathematician who specialized in what is known as chaos theory. And he predicted through his theory that the island 
will quickly proceed to behave in unpredictable fashion and that it was an accident waiting to happen. And he is less than enthused as he sees the danger of bringing dinosaurs back to life. That last line is so powerful. I love what he said there. He said that your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And so many times we are presented with decisions to make of we can do it, but should we do it? I can do this is one thing, but should I do this is another thing. In our culture, I think people can do a lot of things. I just don't think that most people stop to ask, should I do this? And the reason this is important is because stopping to ask, should I do this, is actually an opportunity to acknowledge God with what you're about to do. And I think for many of us, it's just easier to skip that step in the process because we have a mentality that says it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. And that may be true, but what I have found is wisdom don't always have to be the result of bad decisions and we learn from bad decisions. Wisdom can actually be found on the front side if we'll stop long enough to acknowledge God before we make a decision. That we can discover wisdom on the front side. It's no different with us. Some people ask, can I do this, Pastor? They'll come to me. Can I do this and still serve God? Can I do this, Pastor, and still be in relationship with God? And I, 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 sometimes I just quickly say, that's the wrong question. Because after you've walked with Jesus for a little while, we move from can I do this and still be right with God to should I do this? Is it wise to do this? Does God want me to do this? How many know we would save ourselves a lot of heartache if we asked on the front end, is this wise? Is this uh, appropriate? Is this something God wants me to do? That's what trusting God and acknowledging God in all of our ways looks like. It looks like asking the tough questions on the front side. I can do this is an option, but should I do this? I wonder if the people in Genesis chapter 11 who decided to build this tower, if they had the same thoughts. I wonder what got them to the point where they decided this is something we have the skill set to do, so let's do it. Even though it's in opposition to God's command for our people. And I want to help somebody today because just because you have the skill set to do something doesn't mean that is what you should be doing. Which brings me to the second point. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's what wisdom looks like. Just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should do something. Problems arise when we see our decisions as separate from our relationship with God. And we think, we think that a particular decision is too small to have impact on our life. But if we want to honor God with our lives, we must first honor God with our decisions. Not thinking through uh, how little decisions can have impact. Because for some people, their life is a wreck because of just one drink. Some people, their life is a wreck because of just one private Facebook message. Some people's life is messed up because one time they wanted to give someone one little piece of their mind. That small decisions can have major impact 
It can have eternal impact. And as Christians, we are covered. Our actions are covered by the cross. We get that, that we have forgiveness of our sins, not only the past sins, but if we mess up in the future, we know that God has paid the price through the sacrifice of Jesus, and we thank God for that. We celebrate that. But here's the thing we got to understand. Grace is not an excuse to do the wrong thing. Grace is a reason to do the right thing because grace is not just about it covering what you did wrong. Grace is empowering you to do what is right. If you believe that, can you give Jesus a hand clap? If you believe grace empowers you to make better decisions. Everybody wants grace when they mess up. And I get it. I want grace when I mess up, but I also want grace that empowers me to make the right decisions. And understand that my decisions have eternal impact. The Apostle Paul had to address a similar mindset in the Corinthian church because they had adopted this idea in the Greek culture that if your body wants it, it's okay. This was in connection to sexuality, to idols, and various other things that if your body wants it, that it's okay. And the Apostle Paul had to address this mindset that had infiltrated the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The message translation says this beautifully. It says, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. I need to say that again. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I would be a slave to my whims. And this describes a whole generation of people that think because I have this desire, it's okay. And what happens in return is that they become a slave to their own whims, a slave to their own desires. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There is grace, and we thank God for grace, but we also need to talk about truth because God's best for us is found on the other side of every decision. If we'll acknowledge him, if we'll trust him, whether that decision is big or small, what is right for someone else is not always right for us. We have to understand that. And when you're making decisions, I'm going to give you um, a, a barometer as you make decisions, some questions that you might want to ask yourself as you're about to make a decision. Number one, is there a specific command for or against it in the Bible? If you're about to do something and you're not sure, how many know that we got to get back to whatever the Bible says, that's what we're standing on. If the Bible says it's wrong, we're going to say it's wrong. If the Bible says it's okay, then we're going to say it's okay. I think we would remove a lot of the confusion and the chaos, especially in the church, if we would just get back to building our life on Jesus and his word and whatever the scripture says, that's what we're standing on. My, my claps are getting lower as I move through this. I get it. I'm going to preach it anyhow. Y'all can't, can't stop me from doing this. I don't care. You could throw a tomato, but we got to get back to the Word of God. 
We got to get back to what the scripture says is what we stand on. Another question you might want to ask when making decisions is, will this draw me or others closer to Jesus? Will it draw me or others closer to Jesus? Another question is, will doing this represent Jesus well? Will doing this represent Jesus well? Some of us forget that in the New Testament, we're told that you and I are Christ's representatives in the earth. That we represent Christ in everything we do and everything we say. We are to represent him. Now, let me go ahead and, and bust this balloon real quick. I do understand that a lot of Christians do not represent Christ well. I get that. But just because another Christian misrepresents Jesus does not give you the license to also misrepresent him. At the end of the day, you're not serving the Christian who is misrepresenting Christ. Some, so many people, got their, their thinking is so warped. They, well, they're not doing the right thing, and they, don't, they seem to be getting by with it, so I, I should be able to do that. Well, are you serving that person who's misrepresenting Christ, or are you serving Christ and representing him well? You may want to ask, is it necessary or helpful? The Bible is God's word, but it's not a magic eight ball, which means that rules might make decisions easier, but they don't cultivate intimacy or longing for Christ. The more we seek God in all that we do, the more we begin to think just like he thinks, and the easier it is to do the will of God and to make better decisions. As we get back to this movie, while the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, he assures everyone that the facility is safe, they find out otherwise due to an industrial sabotage. Check this out. Little disclaimer, there were no children hurt in the making of this movie. And another small step, don't shine a flashlight in T-Rex's face. All right, couple things in closing. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come because I'm gonna close it out, but I got a few points I wanna give you here. Dr. Hammond in this movie has consequences for his actions. And this, the consequences for him is that he puts his grandchildren and his colleagues in grave danger. In Genesis chapter 11, those who decided to settle down and disobey God and filling the earth and multiplying, but to settle down and build a tower, it had drastic consequences for all of us, different languages all over the world. And this leads me to point number three. Disobedience will always have unintended consequences disobedience will always have unintended consequences now hopefully it won't equal man-eating dinosaurs running around the planet but we when we do not acknowledge God and use wisdom in our decision-making we oftentimes have to eat the fruit of wrong decisions and when we have to eat the fruit of wrong decisions life tastes bitter. It doesn't just leave a bad taste in your mouth. It leaves a bad taste in your life. And a lot of people who are eating the fruit of bad decisions where they have failed to acknowledge God or trust God and life has gotten bitter, many of those same people then get mad at God for the bitter fruit that they are eating. 
But here's a big boy truth. You're going to have to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants, and get this. Why are we mad at God for the bitter fruit that we're eating when it could have been prevented by being obedient on the front side? Romans 6, 23, this is the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives us instruction for holy living in Ephesians chapter 6, or Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. How many of you are thankful that God took you out of the darkness and brought you in to the light? It's powerful. It's still a miracle. It's still the greatest. We've seen this year, we've seen cancer heal. We've seen stage four uh, cancer and kidney failure. We've seen a lot of miracles. But the greatest miracle that we get to witness, and we saw numerous of those in the nine o'clock service, is when someone comes out of darkness into God's light for the first time in a salvation experience, choosing to follow Jesus. That's the greatest miracle that you and I get to experience and witness. And so he's writing and he's letting us know that these are principles for a godly life. And as followers of Christ, we use wisdom and we also use the leading of the Holy Spirit to discern how the truth of God's word applies to our everyday life. If I were to recap this message, don't work to make a name for yourself. Work to honor God. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Disobedience will have unintended consequences. Now these points are life-changing to every follower of Christ. You can adapt these and it will change your life. It will better your life. It will be uh, refreshment to your bones. It will be healing to your flesh. It'll make crooked paths become straight. And we celebrate that truth. But, but the reason we do a series like this and we do all the fun things and the dream team and everybody works so hard is not just because we get great principles for the followers of Christ, but we also get to share hope to those that are without. Jesus. That's, that's why we do this series. It's for people that don't know God that you can have an opportunity to experience Jesus for yourself. I'm going to ask in this room, if you would, to stand with me all over the room and I'm going to ask two questions. I'm going to speak to two groups ultimately with the same result is what I'm praying for. But two groups of people in this room, people that are here, and you would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. I've never known Jesus. I've never made a decision to follow Jesus at any point in my life. And maybe if that's you today, you're, you're saying, I'm eating the fruit of, of bitter fruit from wrong decisions, from bad decisions. And I recognize today that I, I have a real need for Jesus. And I wanna choose him for the first time. The second group, 
are people that maybe at one time you followed Jesus and you were reading the Bible, you were attending church, and you were trying to be light in a dark place. But just like Genesis chapter 11 and just like the billionaire in the movie, somewhere you got off track from what was important. And maybe you followed Jesus at one time, but today you sit here, you stand here, and you say, Pastor, I, I knew him at one time, but I walked away from what was most important, and that was a relationship with Jesus for whatever reason. Both groups of people, whether it would be for the first time, or maybe this is the second time or the tenth time, I don't care how many times, I'm thankful that you still have breath in your lungs, which means it's not too late, that Jesus died for you. And I'm thankful for second chances in my own life and third chances in my own life. And every Christian under the sound of my voice would say amen to a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Some of you, you're like, no chance. I'm at 199. You know, I've had 200 chances. But I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one look around, both groups, whether it's the first time or you're saying, you know what, I'm recommitting today. I'm coming back to my relationship with my heavenly father, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask that you raise your hands. And when I get to three and that hand goes up, I'm I'm gonna ask that you do me a favor. Don't be embarrassed and don't shoot it up and write back down. I don't want any of that. I want you to shoot it up and leave it up. I've got team members all over the room that's gonna come to you directly. I'm not coming down there. We're not gonna make a spectacle out of you, but we're gonna have a team member come to you one-on-one and they're gonna put some info in your hand and we're gonna pray. So on the count of three, whether you're committing to Christ for the first time or you're recommitting today to make things right with God, one, two, three, throw those hands high and leave them high. Come on, throw them high and leave them high. I see those hands back here in the back. I see those hands. I see these hands up front. I see these hands over here. All through this section, there are hands up. Leave them up until somebody makes it to you. Leave them up till someone makes it to you. I I moved too quick in the first service. I don't want to do that again. Leave those hands up. I see two more over here to the right. I see those hands. At least 12 hands are up. I I do know that. At least 12. Maybe more. Let our team get to you. And as they're getting to you, I know it's hard to do multiple things, but we're going to try to do this as they're getting to you. Thank God that they're getting. We got two up front. Thank you here. We got them. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, here's what I want to do. I want every voice. We're going to pray with at least 12 people that are coming into relationship with Jesus. This is a powerful moment. And so I want everybody to lift your voice, pray loud enough where you can hear it with your own ears. There's no magic in this prayer. We're just helping you articulate what God's doing in your heart. But I want every voice lifted and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me, to forgive me. I choose to follow you. I choose to trust and to acknowledge you in all my ways. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name. 
Now give him some praise like you mean it. Come on, give him some praise. Come on, put a little emotion into your praise. Come on, you just witnessed at least 12 miracles in the room of people going from darkness into God's light. We're going to celebrate with one more song. And I'm going to ask all my prayer team, every prayer team member in the building, because we're going to open up these altars. Listen, we're thankful that you're saved, but we also know that you may have a need. You may be sick in body. There may be somebody you want to pray with or pray for. Our prayer team is here to pray with you, to put our faith with yours. We're doing one last song. I'm going to ask that nobody leave early. Stay one more song, about five to seven more minutes so that we can pray for people. And let's honor God by praying and worshiping God this morning. And let's just celebrate all that God's doing. As the worship team begins to sing, can you give him the best praise you have so far? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.